podcast is being brought to you by Shambhala Publications, publisher of a new book by Ken Wilber entitled The Religion of Tomorrow. Please listen to podcast number 631, where Ken Wilber and Greg Voison explore the many facets of the religion of tomorrow. In this podcast interview, Ken discusses that the religions of today will need to embrace the discoveries of science and the insights of psychology to offer an integral approach which will bring together the wisdom of many paradigms while respecting the individuality of the seekers if they are to thrive in the coming age. Over 70% of the world's population is at a fundamentalist stage of development where their religion is taken as the literal word of God. Ken states that we need to help this population embrace a more inclusive view that will curb violent and global conflict. If you want to learn more about Ken's perspective, please join us for a lively and engaging dialogue about the religion of tomorrow, which is available wherever books are sold. Please listen to podcast number 631. Thank you for listening. So I'd like to welcome you to the Hacking the Gap podcast. This is Reese Harris, today's host for Hacking the Gap podcast show. To everyone out there, I wish to thank you for tuning in because without you, this show would not have been aired for the last 10 years and for over 630 author interviews. Today, from the sunny shores of Encinitas, California, I have with me thought leader, author of Hacking the Gap book, and serial entrepreneur Greg Voison, founder of the Inside Personal Growth podcast and the owner of the business consulting firm Illuminate.net. And we're talking about his new book, Fresh Off the Press, called Hacking the Gap, A Journey from Intuition to Innovation and Beyond. And before we get started today, Greg, I have to know, what inspired or motivated you all these years to conduct so many, what, 630 plus author interviews? Well, you know, Reese, I get asked that question a lot. And I probably get it more asked by my family because they don't understand why I continue to do these podcasts. But, you know, I'm a continual learner, and I think most of my listeners out there are continual learners. It's not that they listen to every podcast, but it is that they're reading books, they're studying, they're going to courses, they're constantly involved in bettering themselves. And when I started this, uh, which is now approaching 11 years ago, um, I had no idea that it was going to last this long or have the run that it has. But what motivates me to continue to do it is strictly the fact that every author that I bring on this show, I've learned something from. And without them being my sounding board, in other words, I could sit there and ask them any question, learn whatever I wanted to learn, and what I was hoping is not only was I learning, but whoever was tuning in was learning from what those authors had to say. Well, and I can say I've listened to many of those podcasts, and I've learned a heck of a lot from them. And um, I'm just curious, too, uh, is the book Hacking the Gap a sort of a boil down, a distilled version of all of the learning that you've enjoyed and undertaken during all these years? It's a distillation of that and a distillation of obviously my own personal uh, journey as an entrepreneur. So what I did is I blended both of them into this book. I blended in the elements of what I learned from all the people who wrote business books and personal growth books and books on spirituality and wellness. And as I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, this journey is really not business, it's personal. Um, everything we do in business is personal. The, de- the relationships we develop and the things that we do all become very personal. And I think that the, 
the field of personal growth to me is so fascinating. Um, obviously, billions of dollars are spent in it every year to try and help people develop that element of their personality, their consciousness, develop them as souls as they walk this uh, path of life. But it's always been such a fascinating thing for me, and I've, I've watched everybody from Tony Robbins uh, to some of the greatest people out there, Jim Rohn and all these people that speak about this, Zig Ziglar, you name it, they've all been there. But I think it will continue for eons to come. And the reason I think it will continue is because we have only touched really a very small part of the iceberg. Deep, deep within, as our consciousness, as this global consciousness evolves, we're gonna see more and more people having more and more interest in personal growth. And so with that in mind, it makes me wonder, why are you so passionate about entrepreneurship? Well, I've been an entrepreneur myself all of my life. I had one or two real jobs, if you wanna call it like the nine to five kind of deal. And I write in the introduction of the book, uh, for those of you who haven't read Hacking the Gap yet, my introduction actually speaks about all the things that I did as a kid that really prepared me. Um, everything from selling burgers behind the house, passing out flyers, to being a fuller brush salesman, to importing clogs in from Sweden, uh, to doing puka sales, to doing turquoise jewelry sales. Um, I virtually was starting businesses from the time I was about eight years old till always, obviously, until now, but if you really look at it through through college, all of these things I did, everything I did, I didn't punch a time clock. I didn't have somebody telling me what to do. I did it all on my own, and I was responsible for my own destiny. And I think when people take that into their hands and understand what a valuable gift that is, that yes, you can have rough times being an entrepreneur. It can be challenging. But to have that freedom, I think the key to me is the freedom associated with being an entrepreneur versus somebody who has to punch a time clock and go in and say, hey, I worked my eight to five and I got my paycheck. So I have a question. I, I, on page 97, you talk about the wannabe doll company, mm -hmm. which I found very interesting. And, um, and in reading your book, you've got some amazing insights and ideas uh, for budding and current entrepreneurs. But I'm curious, what would you tell yourself, what would you tell your younger self? Like if you could sit aside a table uh, and the younger Greg Voison, who was deep into the wannabe doll company experience, what would you tell that younger Greg Voison after all you've learned? I, at, at this point, if I was telling myself, um, I would have clearly defined the company's strategic plan better. I would have really investigated the partners that I chose to be partners in the company, spend more time. I think when you're early and you're in the go-go stages of a company, you're really anxious to hire people and bring people on because the company's growing. Um, I would have looked at all of my agreements, um, not to be overly abundantly cautious about uh, the legal side of things, but obviously this particular endeavor turned out to be a very painful one and probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in my uh, years as an entrepreneur. 
But um, those would be the things that I myself was speaking to me now, looking back at the experience and saying, you know, what are some of the things that you would have done differently that you did? I would have made sure that the company was highly capitalized. It was undercapitalized. And I, I can speak to that, and any entrepreneur understands that that's one of the biggest defeating challenges we have is having a company that's underfunded or undercapitalized. Um, I would have looked at, you know, situations on how I would have gotten out of that company from the management of the company a little bit differently. But the reality is there's some key milestones and points that every entrepreneur will learn. And here's the point of hacking the gap. Yes, you can go through those experiences yourself, but you know, if you read this book, the whole point of this book is to help you so that you don't have to have painful experiences like that. So I would say, hopefully you can learn from my experiences, the painful experiences of 630 plus other authors who've been through these experiences that are really trying to not tell you, they're trying to have you learn. That's really interesting, Greg. And I, I have to tell you that the, your book, when I read it, was somewhat confrontive, uh, which it was for me uh, because I've had many good ideas but never really had the courage to bring a lot of those ideas to fruition. And in reading your book, what I loved about it is you give us step-by-step-by-step uh, roadmap of how to bring your idea to ultimate implementation and fruition. But what I, I, I found interesting is you talk about how the implementation phase is often the most challenging, which is kind of what you just talked about with the wannabe doll company. The, uh, and yet, to me, the hardest part is, is giving myself permission to take it to the next level from the idea phase. And I'm wondering, why is it that we put a lid on listening to our creative intuition? Well, I think that from my perspective, and again, this is my perspective and everybody listening understands that, the reason we put a lid on is because we've been conditioned over time by the stories we tell ourselves, by the stories that others have told us, by the subconscious experiences that are s certainly uh, inside of our brains already, that are those limiting beliefs. And it's those limiting beliefs that are really stalling many of the projects that we have. And this book has been written as a result of all of those interviews that I've done with all of those authors from around the world who really, you know, if you really talk, and you, I, I give 10 main points in the book that I learned from most of these authors. And I don't remember what page it's on, but the point is this is that if you can move those limiting beliefs out of the way, if you can have that faith and listen to that intuition that speaks to you loudly, I think the reason it's drowned it out is because the ego is spending so much time trying to protect us that it says, no, Reese, don't go for that. You know, you don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You don't have the skill set. You're not smart enough. You're not whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. We don't take the time to tune that down and tune up the other side that says, hey, Reese, you are good enough. You do have the skills. If you don't have the skills, you'll find other people that do that'll help you with the project. You do have the abilities. And I think this is the constant conundrum we have as a human species on the planet is that we're always vacillating back and forth between what our gut intuition is telling us to do and it's saying go for it 
And the other side of us, which is very strongly our egos, that's always trying to protect us. Now, it's fine. The ego's there to protect. It's fine. But you've got to know when to put it in its place. Okay, now I'm completely confronted. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, when I read your book, I, I, always, I was thinking about this one uh, aspect of the world of business, which is simply leadership. And there's the idea where, um, you know, the, the employee or the, the people that we partner with are constantly asking the leader of an organization the, the who am I, who are we, and where are we going questions. And I'm wondering, and, and I read a lot of that in Hacking the Gap. I, I was hearing that thread of leadership. You know, I was really speaking to the, to the mind of, of leaders of organizations and how do they get through the... the you know, the blocks that cause them maybe not to take their business to the next level and the next level after that. Um, so tell me, how is Hacking the Gap different and the ideas that you perform, put forth, how is it different than other business books, particularly books on leadership? Well, I think when you're an entrepreneur, initially you are the leader. You're the leader of yourself and you're the leader of the people that you bring into the business. Um, the, the way this book differentiates itself from other books is that I'm attempting to address to the person who has an initial idea, whether it's for a movement, a new song, a painting, it doesn't matter what it is. Number one, to give them the confidence to listen to their intuition to take action, okay? So many business books will talk about that. Well, number one, if you do that, you're stepping up and you're saying, I'm taking control of myself. I am the leader of this company. I don't care if it's a one-person company, a five-person company, or a 5,000-person company. When you speak about leadership, there are certain qualities in leadership that you have to have. And one that comes out, most importantly, is the servant leadership model. And I think in the servant leadership model, you turn everything upside down. It's not that you're this big CEO with a huge ego who commands all these people. If you flip it on its head, you're basically a servant to everybody else that's working for you, and you're trying to really help solve the issues and challenges. With that kind of leadership model, you will grow a company much more quickly. You will have much happier employees. You will have more engagement from the people that work for you, and you will have less turnover and what we basically call the human capital value on your balance sheet. It'll be the greatest that it could be. So, you know, I just look at leadership, whether you come out and you're the inventor, um, you have to set a certain example, and that example is, is that you have confidence in yourself, and I think that's the biggest thing that challenges people today, is their lack of confidence to move forward with something, because it's that fear. Fear is the first thing, and resistance is the second thing that'll stop an entrepreneur from moving toward their goal. It's very interesting, Greg, and I and just to take that same idea just down a, or a little deeper into the into the realm of your soul and your ego. You talk a lot about beliefs and knowings, and throughout the book, you discuss spiritual and psychological concepts, which I think is is fascinating. How do you how does this help the development of our business idea to go from intuition to implementation, the full spectrum? How does the connection to our beliefs, our knowings, and our spiritual and psychological elements 
Uh, that's a really good question, and I think the answer is different for everybody because everybody who I'm addressing out there today may have a different spiritual belief. Let's put it this way. They may have a different religious belief. There can be people out there that are listening to this podcast that are Mormons, that are Muslims, that are Jews. I don't care where you segment yourself or put yourself in. What I would say is, though, the common spiritual practices that we have, whether it's prayer, contemplation, meditation, whatever we're doing to get ourselves in touch with a higher spirit that helps guide us is really one of the guiding factors in the book, right? When I say listen to the soul's voice, that's what I mean. Um, you could say, well, that's God. You could say it's my soul's voice. You could say whatever it is that you want. But there is a higher source from my vantage point that help guides and direct us and make decisions about what it is that we're to do. Um, the other element about your question was, you know, how does spirituality and all this mental stuff that we have to deal with affect us? Well, it's those beliefs, and I use this as an example in the book, um, and I know it's gonna piss some people off and it's gonna make others probably feel just fine, if in 1992 you didn't believe in global warming and today in 2017 you do believe in global warming, I think you've changed your belief. Now that belief becomes a knowing, right? And when you have a knowing, because that's part of your question, you're willing to stand up for almost anything. When you have a belief, beliefs can change. And when beliefs change, they change because data changes, mindset changes, perception changes, a lot of things can change to change a belief. Let me ask you this, Reese, have you ever changed a belief? Absolutely. Okay, so we've all changed a belief about something. <clears throat> have you ever changed a knowing that you've come to the conclusion that I know this is true, this is what I believe in? And a lot of the knowings happen to be spiritual knowings. So spiritual is a lot deeper because that's about your own soul talking to you. Do you have certain knowings that you're aware of that really have not changed since you had an epiphany about them? Uh, only to the extent that I've either gone deeper in my knowledge about them and right. perhaps modified or, or adjusted it slightly like that, but I agree. I, I think that that's one of the, the, one of the things I loved about the book was that you, that you really spoke a lot about the, the spiritual aspect of building a business and that it is a truly deep personal expression of who you are and how entrepreneurship is an expression of who you are right. at a very vulnerable level. Um, and so I really appreciated that. Now, uh, what I'd like to do now is just talk about a f or ask you a couple of questions on some specific concepts that you bring in, that you, that you present in the book and ask you to just elaborate a little bit on them. One is the concept of mindset applications and changing habits. And my question to you, Greg, is which mindset application is or was the most challenging for you? I write about it in the book and it's really easy for me to articulate on. I'd say the biggest challenge I had is I write about the anxiety attacks I was having and how I was debilitated by these anxiety attacks to the point where I didn't want to leave my office, I didn't want to leave my home. That went on for about two years. And for anybody out there who's dealing with the psychological realm of anxiety attacks, they're very real. Um, there's pain, there's shortness of breath, there's issues. So the only thing that really broke that cycle around that particular 
uh, angst I was having, which was creating these real physical events, was, was really biofeedback. Now, biofeedback uh, then led to meditation. Now, the practice of meditation to me is a practice. It's like anything else. It's like getting better at throwing the ball or it's like doing anything. The practice of meditation has not been the easiest for me. Um, I speak about it in the book, the monkey mind, which constantly is saying, hey, Greg, you've got to be doing. You can't just being. You can't just sit here. You don't have time to sit here. Um, you know, you've got things you've got to do. And I also say that in the book. I've been a guy that's always been doing something. I've always been expected to do something. So actually taking the time to become Greg Voison and the journey of this book, writing this book, helping to explain others that you can take that time and still do was really the biggest epiphany for me. The, the realization that meditation is important. You, you wouldn't, if you were a baseball player, you wouldn't stop practicing every day to get better at hitting the ball. Um, if you were in any sport, you would continue to practice to be the best you could be. The question is, are you practicing to be the best meditator? I'm still not the best meditator. I don't even know what that means. All I know is that I do my best every day to practice those things. And you say a mindset application, that's one of them. Uh, do I walk on the beach every day? I live two minutes from the beach? No. Uh, do I take hikes in the wood all the time? No. Do I go on retreats? Yes. Should I be doing more of this? Yes. But my point to anybody that's caught in this challenge of releasing themselves from this doing being to becoming a being being, they've got to let go. They've got to let go that they really believe that that's what's got to be done all the time is they can't take any time. Because you can't be a creative, you can't be an intuitive, you can't be an inventor. You can't be that best entrepreneur without giving yourself the luxury of having that off time. And one thing that I've learned from you is the importance of transparency, particularly in a leadership position. Transparency has to do with the being part. When someone connects with you, they connect with your being, not with your doing necessarily. Tell me a little bit about how your book goes into some uh, detail about that aspect of transparency and the being of leadership. Well, I think the number one thing that comes to mind, and I've said this in other interviews before, is your highest level of authenticity. And the only way to have authenticity is to be comfortable within your own skin. And being comfortable in your own skin is a tough one because we put up these veils of protection. We don't want people to know who we are. So we'll intentionally throw a veil up uh, because we're attempting to protect ourselves. We don't want somebody to know us too well. Uh, we don't want them to get too deep. Um, until you're willing to actually break the veil down and be completely transparent, that was the word that you used, and I agree with it, you can't ever be 100% completely vulnerable. There are people out there that would argue with me that being vulnerable is not the best position for negotiation. Uh, there'll be big business leaders that will tell you, you know, you don't want to ever go in and be completely transparent. You don't want to ever show your trump card. You don't want to ever, pardon the phrase, trump card. You don't want to ever show any of that. But the point is, is that um, I think 
as human beings at a soul level, from a spiritual standpoint, you have to be willing to be transparent, authentic, open, honest, and connect. Those are tough and hugely important. Let me uh, shift gears a little bit to you personally. Um, you've started a number of businesses. You've had a number of businesses that have been very successful and continue to be. I can only imagine that during the process of building these businesses that you've had a lot of self-doubt, a lot of uh, negative self-talk. Uh, how do you go about, in your own mind, killing that negative self-talk? Well, my first initial way to kill the self-talk was to do, which is why I became such a doing being. I just did, did, did. And, and what happens is when you just go take action and do something, it, it, I will tell you this, it's a mask for you facing things that you don't really want to face. So while you get a lot done, it may not be in a real strategic way. You just get a lot done, you know, whatever that might be. That doesn't mean that it's focused, that it's intentional, that it's on point, that it's really the direction you want to go in, but it's a great way to mask the pain. It's being in action. Yeah, it's being, being in, in action. action. And when you're in action, you can mask almost any pain, right? Because what happens is the brain re-engages. It says, uh-oh, I've got to do this now. I don't have to think about it. I have to do this. The minute you have to transfer back to actually allowing your brain to think, and I think as a society, and I, and I said it uh, in the chapter where um, uh, Albert Einstein said it, actually, I didn't say it, it just paraphrased the quote, and I hopefully that I'm saying it right, and he basically said, you know, we've become a society that basically has spent more time with our rational minds than our intuitive mind, and who's the servant? Is the rational mind the servant or the intuitive mind the servant? We need to shift to the basic intuitive mind. Now, yeah, and, and he's pointing to this. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. I think there couldn't be a better quote anywhere that this is the world we live in today. And that's why I'm so insistent on the fact in this book, you know, the, the title's got intuition in it. Do whatever you can to get back in touch with your intuition so that your gift is giving things from an intuitive nature. Trust it. You know, go with it. You know, see what happens. You know, really, what do you have to lose? You're going to go through this lifetime. You might lose a little money. You might lose a little sleep. But you certainly have an experience that you want to have uh, versus not having that experience. And I think the only regrets that we will ever have in life, and pardon me for paraphrasing many of these little quotes, the regrets, regrets we have are the risks that we didn't take. And the reality is this book is about getting you to take the risks. Which is a wonderful gift of the book. And uh, I've just got a couple other questions. One is um, with regard to a concept in your book that I find very interesting, and I love the way you uh, presented it, but I'd love to, to have you just explain it a little bit more, and that's the pinballs of connectivity. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how that, what that means to you and, and how me, myself, other business leaders 
should uh, integrate that into their, into their world. I love this part of it. I love this part of the book because when I was writing it, it was like, okay, what happened in my childhood that actually had an effect on me thinking about this? My dad used to go around, and I tell the story, and he used to take money out of pinball machines and uh, also jukeboxes, right? And I would accompany him, you know, and he'd take lots of money out and put them in bags, and I remember he carried a holster and a gun back in the time that was allowed to do, and we'd go into these bars and taverns, and you'd see these people, you know, with the pinballs, you know, and we had a pinball machine in our basement as well, because he used to get access to this stuff. And I remember as a kid playing pinballs, you know, you were always trying to beat the next guy, the other guy's highest score, you know, it's no different than all of these video games, but what compels somebody to want to go to Vegas and keep beating the next score, or you beating your best, or keep moving on? And I think this pinballs of connectivity is really interesting. If you look at the little pegs that the balls hit and you notice how it pinballs off of it, that to me is what's going on in your mind. And the really value, the gift, is beating your best by the opportunity to take what's in your subconscious mind, connect it in real time to what's going on in the world, and come up with a new idea and invention as a result of the subconscious's mind has all of this, you know, and the subconscious mind, just so you know it, doesn't think at, it thinks at far um, greater and faster rates than the conscious mind. The conscious mind is like one-third the speed of the subconscious mind. So when you can take the pinballs of connectivity, connect what happened in the past, that you met somebody or you, you had this idea and it came up or you were singing in the shower and they go, well, why does this stuff happen in the shower? Because nothing's on your mind. So you're open up to this consciousness that allows you to make the connection. And then in real time, you have this like epiphany. It just, it'll happen. You'll, you'll see, oh, I've got this great idea for such and such. Um, I'll use a crazy little idea that it actually just happened this morning. Now, I know the service probably exists, but it doesn't exist where people are actually making a lot of money off of it. And, you know, I consult, my father was in the landscaping business, I consult a lot of landscape companies, and I keep thinking, all these sprinklers go off all throughout California, across the United States. Half the people that have the systems that are on automatic, they don't even know how to program, they don't even adjust their sprinklers, they don't do anything. And the maintenance people don't do it either, and they're wasting millions of gallons of water. I thought to myself, why wouldn't a guy open up a sprinkler avant-garde specialty thing where all he did was repair people's sprinklers and make them more efficient? And imagine how much the cost would be to hire somebody for a small amount of money to just come in and that's all he did. He wasn't your maintenance guy because your maintenance guys are never gonna look at your sprinklers. They don't have the time. They gotta mow, blow, and go, right? Agreed? So what would it be like to have somebody that just specialized and that's all they did? efficiency of water use in your yard, right? And that's all they did. New heads, new risers, new all these things. And I say this because it's something that's so obvious that every morning I walk my dogs and I see these signs and I see all these people that have sprinklers that are busted, broken off, water running down the drain, and it just, it kind of bugs me. But that's the point I'm making is that you can make that connectivity. Sounds like we're moving from Intuition, insight, idea, inspiration. Now we're moving into the incubation. incubation. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Greg. Yeah. We're going to take your idea and move it into the incubation hey, phase. I wouldn't care if somebody took the idea and moved with it because I believe there's a huge opportunity there. 
So let's, let's wrap it up. I uh, want to make sure that anybody that's listening is going to be able to A, find an easy way to get your book and also an easy way to find you on the internet. What would you recommend? Obviously, you can go to www.insidepersonalgrowth.com. That's where the 630 podcasts will be along with this podcast. But we've just launched a new website at www.hackingthegap.com. And on that side of the website, if you click podcast, you'll also find all the podcasts there as well, along with the services that are being offered, uh, the store, um, the free resources, of which there's free resources with podcasts that you can download and transcripts. And I, I want to make the delineation here. Those free resources from that website, they're designed to go along with the book. You know, the book is designed for an entrepreneur, inventor, uh, anybody who has a great idea who actually wants to take it to the next level and wants to overcome not only the mental and, and personal challenges that they might be having, the fear and the apprehension. So I encourage everybody out there to go to www.hackingthegap.com, H-A-C-K-I-N-G-T-H-E-G-A-P.com, or www.insidepersonalgrowth.com, or the consulting website, which is Illuminate, that's spelled E-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-E dot net. They can reach me there or send me an email at greg at hackingthegap.com. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I am thrilled about your book. I've read it with great interest, and I'm going to keep it on my uh, desk and reference it often. Uh, again, this has uh, been an interview with author Greg Voison for the Hacking the Gap book and thought leader from the sunny shores of Encinitas, California, signing off. Thank you, Reese. Appreciate it.